All right, well, thank you, Pastor. It's so good to be here. Um, uh, the food was really good. Uh, really enjoyed that. I always like international food. I pretty much eat everything. Um, I've not found a food yet that I don't like. So I think, um, yeah, I said the only thing I don't like is black licorice. So if you'd had black licorice out there, I would, probably wouldn't have got that off the table. But pretty much anything else I'll eat. So And it was good. So far, everything's been great. It's good to be here uh, in Houston. Um, so we're, we're, it's great. The weather's great. It's a lot colder, I think, right now in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we're uh, based out of. But um, we are the McCrocklin family, and that is how it's spelled. Don't worry if you get it wrong. Nobody really gets our name right the first time. The pastor's doing a great job with it, though. Um, but... Uh, I'm Russ, and Bianca's back there, my wife, and Madeline, our 11-year-old daughter, she is in the wheelchair with her foot propped up right now. She's supposed to kind of keep it up. The more it's down, the more we see it swelling, and I guess that's an issue. We need to <laughs> deal with that. Uh, and then our other daughter, Amelia, is in the nursery. She is about to turn one next week. Next Sunday, she will be one, one year old. And in fact, that was, we were supposed to be here in this conference last year, and I called earlier, like maybe 2019, and said, hey, uh, the due date's right around this time, and I was going to come. I was going to try to risk it. And then I think Pastor was like, you probably shouldn't. (laughs) He was right, because I think that would have been like a collision course where I would have been saying, sorry, folks, I got to go. My wife's having a baby. And that would have been a terrible decision. But so I'm glad I didn't come, and I'm glad we are here to this year and uh, able to come. But uh, if you go to the next slide, I'll just tell you a little bit more about us. Oh, well, this is our sending church, Kingsway Baptist Church in Lake Wiley, South Carolina, which is right on the state line of North Carolina. And then our uh, missions a- agency if you, is BMM in Cleveland, Ohio. But go to the next slide. Um, this is uh, Madeline next to a, some of you guys might know what this is. Oh, there you go, yes. This gentleman, he knows his German cars. An M5, oh, it says it on the plate in the front. Maybe you're cheating, I don't know. <laughs> but it is a BMW M5, and we, this was in November 2019, we flew over there, and we were going to visit with our future coworkers and um, just nail some more things down. And we flew into Munich, and it's real early in the morning. You don't want to really show up at their house at 7 a.m. or whatever. So we thought, let's just drive into Munich and just see what we can find. And we ended up at BMW World. I don't know why or how, but I thought, this is good. I like BMW. And this, this M5, when I found it there, I was like, yeah, this is the car. This is the one that I want. If I was going to get a car, a German car or a high-end car, that would be the one. I really like it. And Madeline and I went over and looked at it, and we're looking in the windows, and it's got these leather seats and these big screen TVs on the back seat. And I look down, and Madeline's kind of leaning up against the car, and the buttons on her jacket are right up against the paint. And I kind of was like, oh, I pushed her back a little bit slowly and was looking around and trying to look, see if there were scratches on it without anyone seeing that I was looking if there were scratches because I don't want to draw attention. I'm sure I'm on camera, so I was like, yeah, look good there. And... She's standing in front of the sticker price, the little information, and yeah, the car was 168,000 euros. 
that's what it costs. And I translated that, I, that's about $195,000 is what it is. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's why we don't want to scratch it. <laughs> but why do I say all that? You know, not just a frivolous lesson in BMW M5s, but it illustrates the problem of Germany. Um, it shows you the question of why Germany. So go to the next slide and you can see this is a real issue that we've wrestled with, and I think anyone would wrestle with going to a country like Germany. Uh, number four in the UN Human Development Index, they consistently rank in the top 10, top five, and that is measured based on lifespan, health insurance. I say it's comfort, your comfort level in life, like how good are you living? And they're living pretty good at number four up there with places like Norway and Japan and stuff like that. So why would we raise all these funds and go to this country and work hard to a people that seemingly have it all? And they have really good cars and products that are better than ours and they import them here and everybody knows if you get a German product, you, you're, you're doing really good. Well, the answer is because they don't have Jesus. They have it all except Jesus. Uh, look at the next slide. This is the evidence of that. Um, and, and all those riches and material things and comfort of life are great and all, but a tragic loss when you don't have the greatest treasure, Jesus. And that's as simple as I can put it and as simple as it can be, I think, as simple as it gets. Um, they really need missionaries who are going to preach the true Christ to them because they've lost that. They may have had it at one time. And you can see that atheist, Germany's roughly thirds. and You can divide it into three, and it's atheist, Roman Catholic, and liberal Protestant. And I think that atheist is growing because of the two-state churches and their failure to preach the true gospel. That Roman Catholic and liberal Protestant branch have failed the German people and disillusioned them. And, and, and I tell people, yeah, if that was my two options, I'd probably be atheist too. If I had to go to the Roman Catholic Church or the Protestant Church in Germany, I would be discouraged and say, I don't know what these guys are doing. I'm just going to walk out and just live my life and at least become a practical atheist. And I think that's what most of them are. So the, the liberal Protestants, they, we stress that liberal word. Ironically, the Germans, uh, they don't really call that church the Lutheran church there. I think that's maybe an American invention, what we called them when they came over here. But there, they're actually called evangelical. It's the evangelical church. That's what it is. It's the Catholic church and the evangelical church, the two state churches. But it's evangelical in name only because they really do not preach the true gospel. They lost that 500 years ago when Luther uh, really discovered justification by grace through faith in the scripture through his study and started to teach and preach that. That was good. And that resulted in people being saved and great things happening, but it's been 500 years. Think about New England. It's been 300 years since the Great Awakening, and where's New England at right now? Well, they're some of the most liberal uh, states you can go to in the country, in the nation, counties and all that, and um, desperate need of church planting in New England now. And it was, you know, a light of the gospel in the Great Awakening, and that was 300 years ago, so 500 years ago, 
Germany's even further removed from that. And that's what happens over time. You lose it because they just don't maintain it. They don't pass it down to the next generation. And what is the difference between the Roman Catholic Church and this Protestant church? Look at the next slide. Not much. You're looking at it here. The cathedral on the left is the Cologne Cathedral, the tallest two-spire cathedral in, in the world, really. And it's Catholic. The one on the right is the Ohm Cathedral, the tallest single-spire cathedral. It's Protestant. That is your Evangelisch church. And, uh, you know, most people couldn't even tell the difference between those two on the outside. And if you're real keen on the Catholicism, you would probably be able to tell the difference on the inside with how many uh, icons are in there, maybe fewer in the Protestant church. But even then, you're kind of struggling there to go, I don't see the difference. And I don't know what this has to do with the Bible when you walk in there. And that's your feelings. And it's sad. It's, it's awe-inspiring to see this architecture, but it's so sad. It's so You have such mixed feelings going in here and seeing this because you know these people are not getting the truth in here. This is just a museum. And we, uh, you, there is that other, though, that 8%, right? So you say, what about that 8%, Russ? Is there, there's hope in that 8%. Well, look at the next slide. Most of that 8% now is, is Islam and growing rapidly at 6.1, that leaves you with 1.9 that is going to be a mixed bag of, of, of the cults and Pentecostals, and, and then we're going to come in there and 0.1, I don't know what we would be, <laughs> really low. And so Germans do view us as a cult. They view somewhat, view the Baptist church like a Jehovah's Witness, like a Mormon. You're just some weird American import of Christianity that we don't really relate to. And that's a hurdle to be overcome. This is a hurdle to be overcome, but it is an opportunity because this is coming from uh, some of the refugees that have come in recently. And, you know, you can minister to Muslim people or witness to them. There's no law against it, especially in Germany, because, hey, you're both foreigners. And, uh, so they're going to say, we're not going to protect you from being proselytized by some Christian. And they, they'll hear, they can hear the gospel, people that are from Syria, that would have never had a chance in Syria. So this is a great opportunity, actually, that I, don't, uh, that I would look forward to. But look at the next slide. Um, this is uh, a little bit about what we're trying to do. The German missions team is what we call the GMT for short. And it's just composed of American missionaries and German pastors that have a fellowship going of church planning. And they'll meet together uh, a couple times a year to just fellowship, accountability, and to discuss maybe where they could plant a church next. Like who can do it? Which church can do it? Can we back you? Can we help you? And do you have a man uh, that we could put in there as a pastor? And uh, we hope to become part of this team and work alongside these men, and one of them in particular. I'll get to him in a second. But uh, go to the next slide. This is a little bit about what, a little bit of the work these men have been doing um, over really the past 50 years, but uh, these particular gentlemen obviously haven't been there 50 years, but some of them 30 years. And some of them on that picture are retired now. They just retired last year. So, uh, But these little um, place markers are just samples of where churches have been uh, uh, planted, and some of these are well-established. So this is very exciting. It, 
I know, and it doesn't look like a lot. So, you know, there's been about 15 churches planted, and that seems small, but that is a huge number in Germany. I cannot tell you how exciting that is to me to even see that because it, it's so, that's big. And that's the result of 50 years of plowing the soil and, and, and sowing seed, and they are starting to see fruit now. And this is it. You're looking at it. Those are churches, Baptist churches that are, that are going strong. Some of them are 180 people, like Nuremberg, where Hitler was tried, or uh, the Nazis were tried, and Hitler's capital. There's a church there now that's 180 people strong that has already planted two daughter churches the one in Eckenthal and Neumarkt, which is Neumarkt is the church plant we want to go help. It's a, a daughter church off of the Nuremberg Church, which was a church plant from another missionary who is now retired. And so you're starting to see the Germans take ownership of the Baptist church and the Baptist faith and say, yeah, we, this is good. This is biblical. We like this. We want this. Let's get this out to our own people. And they are taking initiative now, like the church in Ingolstadt uh, planted another church in Eichstätt and all these places where... That was really not American money or missionaries doing that. Now, some of those church plants, American missionaries will go help, like the one in Eichstätt, and, and be a help to the ger younger German pastor. And we uh, are going to go work alongside another American missionary in Neumark. Go to the next slide. Uh, this is a little bit about what the team is looking like, though, now, as far as our mission board goes. Now, there's some other missionaries involved, but you can see there's... People have retired, and uh, we are going to come in there under the Metzgers in 2021, but this is my plug for anyone feeling like God's calling to the mission field. This is it right here. <laughs> come over and join us in Germany and join this team. We can find a place for you. Uh, there's plenty of work to be done. I know there's plenty of work to be done everywhere, and our brother here wants you to come to Uganda, I'm sure, but... Look at, look at this. <laughs> Dwindle down. You need to fill your name in there in 2021. But uh, go to the next slide. This is the town we're specifically targeting to be. It's Neumarkt in der Oberpfalz, which basically just translates to Newmarket. And go to the next slide. Uh, this is Mark and Leslie Boyd. They've been there quite some time now. We're working in the Nuremberg Church and went out to plant the daughter church of uh, Neumarkt. They have a rather large family, especially for Germany. And we hope to go help them. Go to the next slide. This is the church they have planted. It's called the Freie Baptistengemeinde Neumarkt. And that is a name that pretty much all these churches have agreed to go by. I think it's kind of a German thing where they want to keep it consistent and uniform. I don't know all the reasons, but I believe. If you go in Germany and you see a sign like this, Freie Baptistengemeinde, you can go in there and say, oh, this is a good church. Yeah, this is a good church. Let's go in here, and they're going to be preaching the gospel because it's kind of what they've branded. And it simply just means, you know, Independent Baptist Church is what it translates to, Free Baptist Church, Independent Baptist Church of Neumarkt. So you would be the uh, Independent Baptist Church of Houston or something if you were going to go by this name. And there's some churches that do that here. You know, they, there are some that call themselves that. And, and so you'll see a Freie Baptistengemeinde Nuremberg, Freie Baptistengemeinde Ingolstadt. And uh, I think it's trying to get the Germans to see, you know, this is not some fly-by-night weirdness. We're actually 
have a, a thing going here that makes sense, that we get along and we agree we're not in a weird cult. But go, go to the next slide. This is inside the building. Most Every time you plant a church in Germany, you pretty much are doing storefront buildings, renting, buying's very expensive. I don't know, I only know one church in Germany that was able to buy their building. And you kind of just rent permanently. And if you outgrow this space, then you gotta go find a bigger one, and it, that can be difficult. But here you can see, I snuck a picture in the back during the morning service where Mark Boyd's preaching, and he's got a decent crowd going in this newer church. And uh, I want, we would like to go and be a part of this and help out maybe with the music at first when we're doing language uh, in language school. Go to the next slide. This is the top of the hill in Neumark. You can see the city out there. And uh, it's a very Catholic town. So you know how I said Germany's roughly thirds, like atheist, Roman Catholic, Protestant. Well, you're not going to necessarily find that distributed evenly everywhere you go. Like not one out of three people is going to be Catholic. And then this guy's going to be an atheist. This guy's going to be... More like this town is Roman Catholic and Nuremberg's Protestant and Berlin's atheist, you know. In general, this is a highly Catholic town. And so most of what they do is going to revolve around the Catholic Church. And this hill, you're looking down, you see that building, the big one in the middle? That's a convent for nuns. And you can go down there and they'll give you a piece of paper and you can do what they prescribe to do and you come up this hill and go to the next slide. When you walk up this hill, you're gonna do what they say and you're gonna pray the rosary or something of that nature at the, at the stations of the cross on the right. That's a station of the cross and you say, what is that? Well, it's scenes from the last week of Jesus's life, maybe like the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane. And you do what they tell you and then you get up to the top of the church on the left is called the Mary Helps Church. And it looks pretty plain on the outside, but go to the next slide. It's very elaborate, and what it is is a, an elaborate shrine to Mary. It's, it's just, I, it's, I think it's rank Mariolatry in there. And, and on the ceiling, they've got scenes from Mary's life all the way down like the Sistine Chapel, just showing what she did. And you go up there, and there's some monks up there. So the nuns are at the bottom, the monks are at the top, and these monks are radical. Mark was telling me they are, they are the fundamentalist monks so much so they don't agree with the current pope or, or Vatican II, and they've kind of, uh, consi they're considered heretical by the Vatican because they're so old school. And they'll sign off on that piece of paper, though, and say, yeah, this is, and what, what that is is an indulgence. And you get an indulgence. Now, what is that? It is to lower your time in purgatory, give you a little installment of righteousness. Maybe it'll be that for your grandpa and help him get out of purgatory. What it is, it's an installment plan for righteousness. So they're always trying to get a little bit more and, and increase their righteousness. And hopefully, eventually, you may have spent even a hundred, a thousand years in, in purgatory, but you'll make it and you'll get there. And hopefully your family will keep supplying you with righteousness down there. And um, so I thought, I thought Luther conquered indulgences is what I thought until we went up through this church in 2018. I was thinking, you, you, you what? You get an indulgence? Did not Luther overcome that? He's like, nope, because you got to understand, yes, he did fight strongly against that and railed against that practice and, and eliminated it in his town and maybe his state. And then it started to spread out and take over Bavaria. Well, the Catholics weren't going to have that. And they said, take back over. 
that territory, and they sent Jesuits up and different things and did the Counter-Reformation and reclaimed territory and doubled their efforts with the Council of Trent and, and said, we, we got to get these indulgences back out and all these things. We need the money that comes in from them because they were building St. Peter's Basilica. Go to the next slide. Here's other ways you can get righteousness with holy water. You got to pay a euro, euro 50 for that. Uh, go to the next slide. You can light a candle. That's going to cost you about a euro. And there's, you're going to light it to a saint that's on the wall. And what are you doing when you light that candle? You're asking that saint to open the church's treasury and spare some righteousness, either to you or your family, to say, I need some more righteousness. I know I'm lacking and I can't stand before God, so give me some more. Go to the next slide. You can get the three wise men's initials written on your door every uh, Christmas. And this is going to give you a blessing. Of course, it's going to cost you some money. You see a theme with these things? I mean, it's money. It's always money. You're always paying money for another currency, righteousness, which is way more valuable than paper money, isn't it? The righteousness of Christ is the most valuable thing you'll have or ever get, the gift of God, of eternal life. And you cannot buy it with money. You don't, you know, it doesn't, that's how it works. It's a gift. But the Catholic Church has always been about just exchanging. What can you give us? We'll give you a little bit of this, and hopefully you'll make it one day. But we know they won't, and that's never going to work. So we need to go and preach the true gospel, and that is Christ's righteousness alone. Look at the next slide. Um, this is our plans. We're on deputation. We hope to get to the field in August 2022 and be at 100%. And just be ministry assistants to Mark and Leslie Boyd while we're in language school. It takes about a year and a half, uh, usually, with the missionaries we've seen to get to the point where they can preach their first sermon in German. And that does rhyme, yes. Um, so hopefully in a year and a half, I'll, that's a big mile marker, preach my first sermon in German. And then eventually, when we get, I get a good enough grasp on the language, maybe I can contribute to teaching in their theological institute. The TTZ is their Bible institute that they run out of some of those churches, and it trains the young men to, and even older men, <laughs> any, any of them, to go, who want to go into the pastorate and take over some of these churches that we're trying to plant. So go to the next slide, last slide. What can you do for us? Well, get a prayer card and uh, pray for us. Sign up for our prayer letter. You can give. Um, the euro hovers around $1.15 on exchange rate. That is a hurdle for us. So whatever we raise, we lose 15 cents automatically. So in Germany, it's, like I say, a, a strong economy. So it is a big hurdle. You can go yourself. I said, if you want to come and see the field, do so. Uh, it's a, it's a great work going on down there in Bavaria. And you can pray. Why do I say that again? Just pray for the country as a whole. Pray for a second reformation that would come to Germany, this time of Baptist churches. And I think we're seeing that, but it's slow. But I would love to see it just spread out across the country and, and multiply in each city to where it's a common thing for the Germans to be Baptistan. And that would be fabulous to see that. Uh, so that's all really. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 15 and uh, starting in verse 14 and then read all the way to 33. It's a pretty lengthy passage, but I, I can't really break it up. It just goes together as a unit. 
And uh, so we're going to read through it real quick, and then I'll say some things about it. But uh, it's a simple message I, I, I call Plans for Missions. And uh, starting in verse 14, it says, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, but now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. If first I be somewhat filled with your company, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that, when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, for your character, your attributes. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and making yourself known, for sending your Son to die for us, and letting us know that in your word and bringing someone to us to preach the gospel to us and for saving us, for uh, giving us the gift of eternal life. Thank you for this text that we have before us. Give me grace as I try to expound it. And I pray that you would apply this text to the hearts of your people, that your people would be encouraged and edified and instructed in, in what to do and your will and have a better understanding, Lord, of it even tonight, of this text. Just illumine our minds and our hearts to this and uh, soften our wills to do what you would have us do. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The 1940 Tacoma Narrows Bridge was a suspension bridge in the state of Washington that spanned the Tacoma Narrows Strait of Puget Sound between Tacoma and the Kitsap Peninsula. At the time of its construction, it was the third longest suspension bridge in the world, behind the Golden Gate Bridge and the George Washington Bridge. Construction began in September 1938, but from the time the deck was built where you drive on, uh, it began to sway wildly in windy conditions. And um, you can see this on YouTube. They got it all on film, even though it was 1938, and they even got it on film when it fell 
in November 7th, 1940. So it was only two years and it was gone. And they tried to stop the oscillation when they were building it too. They thought, let's throw some extra measures in. But the construction workers kept going and they nicknamed it Galloping Gertie. In fact, I did see a video the other day on YouTube and there was a guy walking around at the bottom showing um, pieces of the bridge that are still laying there or under the new ones. He goes, there's a piece of Galloping Gertie. Uh, but you can see it. It oscillates wildly like this, and it looks like it's a hurricane or something, you would think. But it was 40-mile-per-hour wind. That's it. Brought that thing down, 40-mile-per-hour wind. And it, that's astonishing considering the size and the destruction. The last man to go across never even got his car across. He just stopped and got out and tried to run. But he said he couldn't even run. He was just more like crawling and holding on to the curb. And he left his dog in the car, and then he tried to go back for the dog and just couldn't. It was too risky, and the dog went down with the car, so that was the only casualty. And the dog and the car were never found. The bridge's collapse, though, however, has had a lasting effect on engineering. In many physics textbooks, the event is presented as an example of resonance. And this is a fascinating concept, I think, uh, in physics called resonance where, you know, we, we were experiencing that tonight. The resonance of the strings on that guitar and the, and the body of the guitar is what amplifies the sound and the piano, bringing it out so you can hear it. And it's all around you, and this is how you can break glass with just sound and all these fascinating things. And um, it, they said, and they'll say in the textbooks, the bridge collapsed because normal speed winds just happened to match the bridge's natural frequency. And that is fascinating to me. And I've been watching this physics professor, and he says everything has a natural frequency. Even people do. And he said maybe, he went further than science and said maybe that's why you might have stuff like love at first sight. I don't know, something about your frequency. And you say, yeah, that resonates with me. That girl is pretty, and I love her. And we're thinking, no, you don't. You don't know her. But anyways, um, this resonance, I think, is what Paul is trying to get. What he's trying to get his plans for a fourth missionary trip to resonate with the Roman church so that they would in turn see him as a viable candidate and a good missionary candidate to take on for support to send to Spain. And to help him get to Spain. I think that's what's going on in this passage. And you say, really? I mean, I, I don't know if I got all that from there. I, well, it's there. And it's kind of subtle. But that is what's going on with Romans in general. Now, I'm trying to get my plans for church planning in Germany to resonate with God's people. And I believe missions is a natural frequency that God puts into our heart. That's why when you watch our brother's video this morning on Uganda and stuff, you can't help but feel it pull on your heartstrings and you say, man, that's good. I want to be a part of this. I'm glad I'm a part of this or I want to do more. And I feel that too. And I, I always say, you know, that's why I say, Lord, you really want me to go to Germany? Because every time I watch another missionary presentation, I, I want to go there. <laughs> but then I'm like, no, the Lord's calling me to Germany. This is what he wants me to do. And I think that's normal and good that you would say, you know, that, that's good, what they've got going on there. Something should make your heart flutter. And you should want to pray for it and get involved and give and do those things like, like he talked about this morning. 
That's what Paul's trying to get the Romans to see when he's telling them, I've been doing this ministry over here in Greece and, and, and Philippi and Macedonia and all these regions. And he says, I want to take that to Spain. Can you guys help me? That's what he's asking them. And, and so if you want to show someone how to be saved, how would you do it? Well, there's lots of ways. But really, at some point, you're going to get to the Romans road. You're going to just come down on that and say, this is it. This is the most straightforward, thorough explanation of the gospel we have. And that's by design. I know that is what God wanted us to have when Paul wrote Romans. He said, that's, I need my church to have this, what I would call Paul's magnum opus, his longest, most thorough and most complex letter that details the gospel out in all of its glory from justification to sanctification to glorification. And that's appealing to the church, to us believers. And it, it answers our big questions, like where am I going and what's my purpose in life? And, and so anytime Romans has been preached in church history, revivals have broken out by design. It's just very powerful. And you know that and you can think about those verses and the, and the gospel. But there's, a, there's another reason I think Paul wrote Romans. Obviously, he is writing to detail the gospel, but stop and think with me for a minute. Who is he writing Romans to? The letter. Well, he's writing it to believers. He's writing it to a church. So if we, when we leave tonight and I stand at the door, I'm going to pass out gospel tracts to all you guys and say, Brother, you need to read this. <laughs> Would you be offended? Would you be taken back and say, Well, I'm already saved. I would say, I know you are, but read it. Why am I saying that? Because you need to read the gospel too. You need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to be reminded of how you were saved, what Christ did for you, and, and meditate on that constantly and go back over it and say, yes, this is it. This is good. And I think Paul's doing that for the Romans. He's filling in some gaps in their knowledge. He did not plant this church, so most of these people are strangers to him. But he's just telling them this is the gospel. And they're probably going to read this letter or did read it and thought, that is informative. That tells us things that we're missing in our knowledge. But what, what's another reason he's writing it then? Well, I think a second purpose is he's trying to communicate his plans for a fourth missionary trip and to give them an opportunity to be a part of that plan. And ultimately, he's writing to us today to communicate our opportunity to be a part of the plan of worldwide evangelization today. And who, what better to do it with the Romans? So Romans is very missiological. It's very much a missions book. That's the gospel. And to be very contemporary, Romans is kind of like Paul's resume, in a sense. He's saying to these people that are basically strangers, he knows 25 people that he names in the beginning of chapter 16, that he had worked with in other places that moved to Rome. So he's saying, greet them, because I, I would like to see them again. But the pastors of the Roman church he doesn't know. And so what is he trying to tell them? He's saying, let me introduce myself. I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. This is the gospel I preach, and this is what I've been doing from the past three missionary journeys in these regions, this whole area from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And then he says, and I, I really want to come to you guys at the beginning in Romans 1.15, and then he goes into the gospel, and he comes back and he says, let me get back to that. I would like to come by you guys into Spain. And I, I, I was wondering if you could help me get to Spain so I can preach this gospel that I'm about 
to those people over there and plant churches over there. So the passage divides in about four parts. Uh, the last part is just the, the blessing verse in verse 33, so we won't spend any time with that. But real briefly, we'll look at the three big parts, and that is, first of all, Paul's past experience in ministry. Look at Romans 15, 14 through 22. In light of what I've told you, I'll read it and just look at it real quick. It says in verse 14, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. That's him kind of saying, let me introduce myself again to you, tell you a little bit more. I am the apostle of the Gentiles, and that's why I've written so boldly to you. And that's almost an understatement when you think about what Paul has written to strangers in Romans chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and so forth. I mean, that's, a, that's really forward stuff. And he says, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I'll get to that in a minute, the offering that was a large part of his third missionary journey. I have, therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ and those things which pertain to God. He says, let me tell you a little bit about my background, what I've been doing. And I think what he's saying here is my qualifications, um, you know, my ministry. Verse 18, for I will not dare to speak in of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. So we know we have kind of a, a, a full picture now of Paul from his other epistles in the Acts, Acts, book of Acts. We know Paul's ministry was incredible. He's the greatest missionary that ever lived, like the greatest Christian. And we would say, hey, have you heard of this guy? Yeah, it's amazing what he's done and the work he's done. But listen to how he puts it. He says, I won't even talk about anything that Christ hath not wrought by me. He's very humble. Even though if anybody could boast, it would be him, right? Look at what he's accomplished. But he says, it was all Christ. It wasn't me. It was just Christ working through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout into Illyricum, that's pretty much like as high up as he went, the north of Athens, in the, in the Greece area. And I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. And then he quotes Isaiah 52 to 53, the most famous servant song. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. And what he's saying is that was the, that's the fulfillment of what Isaiah was saying about this obscure carpenter Messiah that's going to get crucified in Jerusalem in the middle of nowhere that nobody cares about in the world. All you Gentiles, you don't know what's going on down there, but it's coming to you. And it has. And now you understand the importance and the magnitude of that event that happened in Jerusalem, and Paul was instrumental in that. I mean, he's instrumental in us getting saved because of writing this very letter. Probably most of us were saved after hearing the uh, Romans road. And then secondly, he, he that's, said, that's what I've been doing, preaching the gospel, this gospel that I've outlined from Romans 1.16 all the way to 15.13. And, and I've been preaching that in this region. And he says, I want to I wanna preach it um, to Spain, but... But first, I have to go down to Jerusalem to give this offering to the saints, the Jewish saints there that I collected from the Gentile churches. 
Why was he doing that? Because he was wanting to show unity. He was wanting to show the Jews that the Gentiles cared about them, that they understood that they were believers in the body of Christ. And, uh, and he makes that a very spiritual endeavor. And from that concept and that offering, we get all of our, most of our giving principles for missions. Uh, he mentioned one of them today in Philippians 4 is a parallel passage to this. And 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, huge giving principles for faith promise. And then he says, after I get down to Jerusalem, I'm going to come back up and I want to stay with you guys a little while and preach the gospel to you. And I was hoping you could send me out to Spain. Look at verses 23 and 24. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. Don't miss that language. It's very subtle the way he's asking this. But he says, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm hoping, Romans, that you could give me outfit and passage. You could maybe pay my fare on the ship over to Spain. Or give me something that will help me get there. So here we have this apostle missionary who is being very forward, but yet humble because he's waiting till the end of his letter to appeal to them for funds after all that introduction and and all that great teaching on the gospel and then he says uh, if first i be somewhat filled with your company is he all about the money no he is about the gospel and fellowship with god's people he wants to build a relationship with him and he wants them to be partners with him in the ministry to spain and this is what missions is about i love this passage because it just justifies what we do It says what we do is not man-made. We did not make this up. Uh, Your pastor did not make this stuff up. Missions conferences. I mean, that may be a more modern invention, but the idea of of churches cooperating and uh, uh, God's people supporting missions and sending out people is right here in the text, the inspired text. It's in the first century. They did it this way, and we're doing it this way now. You see that? And so if you say, well, I don't know about all this. This is crazy that I would give my hard-earned money to people I barely know so they can go out in some part of the world and do what I don't know with it. Well, that is not new, brothers and sisters. This has been going on for a long time. Here's Paul in the first century appealing to a church in Rome that he doesn't even know, strangers, and saying, can you guys help me get to Spain? (laughs) I would like to get to know you a little bit before you do. Verse 28 Look at that. When therefore I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, he's talking about the offering, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I will come by you into Spain. You see that? I will come by you. Not just stop in, but you're going to help me. Can you help me? In verse 29, I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying, can you help me get to Spain? Now, did he make it to Spain? There's some... Uh, documents in church history that say he did. I don't think he did. I'm of the opinion he never made it. I think what happened was we know we see in Acts, he went down there to Jerusalem to deliver the offering and he got arrested and came back to Rome as a prisoner and then was put under house arrest and eventually beheaded and he just preached the gospel where he was at. So he never made it with his plan to Spain, did he? And did he fail then? 
Was it a failure? Was all this a waste? Well, I submit no, absolutely not. Why? Because, first of all, we have the letter to the Romans now preserved for us and in many ways the greatest letter ever written. We have it because of this plan of his to go to Spain. Where would we be without Romans? As a church, I don't know. We could make it, but it'd be harder. And I I don't know what we would put on our tracks without the Romans road. We would put John 3.16 and verses like that. I'm not, you know, but, and I think, here's what I think, just a scenario. I don't know if this is the way it happened, but um, I think when you look in verse, chapter 16, verse 1, and he says, I commend unto you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant at the church at Sincrea. What, what he's talking about there, and then he says, greet all these people. He's saying, but Phoebe was not a member of the church of Rome, and many people believe he wrote the letter to the Romans in Sincrea, in her town, with her church. And he said, Phoebe, you go to Rome a lot. Can you take this letter over there and deliver it to the pastors in Rome? I'm going to go down to Jerusalem and deliver this offering, then I'm going to come back up, and that way they'll already be introduced to me, and you tell them about and so Phoebe goes over there and delivers this letter, and the pastors read it. And can you imagine that day being there when they open it up and they read it for the first time to this congregation, Romans being read, the greatest letter ever written. And then they read through it, and they say, well, that was something. And they get to the end, and they say, well, what are we going to do, church? We have this gentleman. He wants to come here. Are we willing to do it? And so they have a decision to make, right? Let me close with this. And you look at verses 30 to 32, read very much like a modern missionary prayer letter when he's asking for prayer and begging them to be partners with him in, in his ministry by praying. Just a little another lesson about how important prayer is in missions. But then it's easy to apply Romans 1, 16 and 17, 323, 5, 1, 623, 828, 10, 13, 12, 1. The list could go on and on in Romans. And you, these are weighty texts. And you probably come in here and you can quote some of those or all of those and say, yeah, those, those are great verses. I think Romans 5, 1 for me is my favorite, is my life verse. And, uh, but it's not as easy to apply Romans 15, 14 through 33, is it? And you probably didn't walk in quoting that and say, yeah, if I said, now quote Romans 15, 14 through 33, you'd go, I don't know. <laughs> That's a lot of verses and I don't even know them. Because it's kind of in the back and you think, what, what is that? That's because Romans 15, 14 through 33 is not a command to us. It's not, not, nothing really imperative in there to us directly. It's a scenario that was placed on the Roman church, which forced them to make a decision about what to do about this missionary Paul and ultimately their obligation to reach the unreached people of Spain 2,000 years ago. Okay, that's what it was. But listen, not much has changed 2,000 years later. We still have Christians like us who meet as a church like the Romans, who have and understand the same gospel as spelled out in Romans. We've been reading it tonight. And there are still unevangelized people all over the world in need of that gospel and someone who is sent by the local church to preach it to them. So the scenario of Romans 15, 14 through 33 is indeed set before us this week, isn't it? It just might not be Spain. It's definitely not Paul. But another people group and another missionary. So what do we think about it? Does it resonate with us? The idea of getting involved with sent out missionaries in our prayer life, in our money, in our finances. Does it resonate with you? Do you, do you feel 
a, a kindred spirit, a pulling of your heartstrings to reach the German people, even though you're not German, or you've never been there, or you probably never go. But it should strike a chord with you when you see a missionary presentation, at least where you say, I, I can pray for him. I can do that, and I will. I'm going to strive together with this guy in my prayers to God. And so, of course, some missionaries' plans are not yours or ours. But do they resonate with you is the question. Is there something you feel about it? And I'm, I'm saying you should get a little emotional about it. I do. Is there an excitement that you feel about uh, what they're doing and the opportunity to get involved in some way? Do you feel the weight of responsibility to support missions, to send out missionaries, and to do your part in evangelizing the world, even right here in Houston? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight, for this day as a whole, to come and worship you corp corporately as your people. We uh, thank you so much, God, for giving us eternal life and sending Christ to die for us. And we just thank you for our opportunity, Lord, that you allow us, you, you keep us here on earth after saving us and allowing us to be a part of evangelization of the Great Commission and using us as tools, as uh, your servants and emissaries and ambassadors to those around us in the world. I pray that you give grace to us all in here tonight that we could do that very thing, that we would be earnest about uh, our responsibility, our role, and those you place in our life to reach. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother McCrocklin. A lot to think about tonight. He's reminded us of the gospel and so thankful for the good news that Jesus saves and reminded us of the work that the gospel's done in our own lives. If you're a believer tonight and you're saved, then the Lord has done his work in your life. And then he's presented us with an opportunity, right? Because of that, because of what God has done in our lives, and because of the opportunity and the need of reaching others with the gospel, what are we going to do with that? And I, the, the, I guess the thing that the Lord was speaking to my heart the most about tonight was that I want to be faithful in every area of my life to do it. I, I don't want to let opportunities just go by and say, well, that was interesting. Another presentation, another video, somebody else going someplace else, or you know, this church event to go share the gospel, or that, that event. But I think we should each take time to consider and say, God, how would you have me be involved and be faithful in your Great Commission work? Through giving, through supporting missionaries, through going to your neighbors and co-workers and family members, but taking every opportunity that the Lord presents us to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that challenge and encouragement tonight. Really looking at a passage of Scripture that probably for a lot of us maybe haven't taken time to consider. But I think that was a wonderful explanation of what Paul was doing there, writing to this church, reminding them of who God was and what he had done in their lives, and now encouraging them to partner with him, labors together with God to serve the Lord in the work of the gospel. Well, it's been a great day. I've enjoyed our times together this morning and this evening. Before we go tonight, we do want to take up a love offering. We're going to do this in each service this week. Again, not because you have to give five different times necessarily, but just to give different folks opportunities to give. And uh, each the gifts that come in, we will use to take care of our missionary families this week and to bless them as they go. If you can't give tonight, we'll, get, we'll have this opportunity again 
each service. Tomorrow night, we'll have our service at 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And uh, if you can join us, if you're free in the mornings on Tuesday or Wednesday, tomorrow looks pretty rainy, but uh, some of us are going to be going out in our own neighborhood to share Christ with people in this area. So if you want to meet us around 10 o'clock here at the church, and then we'll go out together a little after that. If you can join us on Tuesday or Wednesday, we'll look forward to that. Lord willing, also be able to get the technology all to work and have uh, Brother uh, Jody Colson joining with us in our service. Hopefully tomorrow night it works out. If not, we'll have him on Tuesday night. But uh, he and his wife are missionaries over in Chuk, Micronesia. And they are serving the Lord there and have been for many years. You all helped this past Christmas to send gifts to all the children over there. And uh, he'll tell you more about that. But I think they ended up with over 300 gifts for children. So that was a huge blessing. I think we were able to send 50. And so that, that'll be fun if you get to meet them and talk to them, even if it's virtually. We'll have a little time with that. Something else to be looking forward to later on this week, we're going to take some time with both of our missionary families that are here, and we're going to have a little interview time with them. I'm going to ask them some questions about you know, their life and what the Lord's doing in their life and just direction and things like that. Don't worry, Brother Russ, it won't be too hard questions, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, but just so people can get to know you better. But I encourage you throughout the week, take advantage of visiting with them before and after the services. I know it'll be encouragement to you and to your families to get to know them. All right, men, come on up and let's take up our offering this evening. Let's bow for prayer and ask God to use these gifts for His glory. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we're coming today, not just about uh, figuring out how we can support more missions. We're coming here today because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Lord, we're coming here today because of the power of the gospel at work in our lives and now the desire and, uh, that you've given us and the mandate that you've given us to then go and take that to the ends of the earth. Lord, we know we, that starts with us right here at home, but it's not to stop there. It ought to continue here as we reach locally, regionally, and then all around the world. We thank you today for the challenges about the ministry and about your work and about the importance of getting the gospel out. Thank you for these two missionary families that are with us, the Pridgens and the McCrocklands, serving in Uganda and in Germany, respectively. And we thank you for what you've done in their lives to bring them to this point. Lord, I pray that you would bless the McCrocklin family as they seek to raise enough monthly support to be able to move over to Germany full-time and serve you there. Lord, I pray for those Christians and churches over there that are faithfully preaching the word and the churches that are now starting churches. What a blessing that is to see. Lord, I pray for the brothers and sisters over in Uganda tonight. I pray that you'd encourage them, strengthen them, continue to help them in the great work. Lord, so much has happened in the last 23 plus years that the Pridgens have been serving there. And Lord, clearly this is your work. It's far beyond just what one man or one family has done. But in all of that work, I pray that your hand would be clearly guiding them, that your spirit would be working in them, that they would stay committed to the truth and to your word and to faithfully preaching the gospel till Jesus comes back. Take this offering now, Lord. Use it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs> 